Well, good morning. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. And uh, a warm welcome. And I wish uh, that, that you all had a good time and break. I hope that you had a good rest and good time with family and friends over the Chinese New Year. Last week, we started our new series of, of messages from the letter to the Philippians, called by many as the Epistle of Joy. Today, we will continue the second message from the series. But before we get into today's message, and because we do need to pray for God to open our eyes, let us pray. Father God, make your word live to us. As we take in your word, show us yourself clearly. Show us who we are really. And show us our deep need for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May you make your word live to us. Change us and renew us, so that we will increasingly grow to become more like Jesus Christ. For Jesus' name's sake, and for your glory. Amen. I felt deeply encouraged. Here I was with the intention of encouraging and caring for the brother in Christ who was ill, but instead, he served me and ministered to me instead. This single brother in Christ had a recurrence of cancer, and it looked serious this time round. He was sick in hospital, and I visited him a number of times to pray and care for him. However, each time he was more concerned for me and for the church. He sensed that I was struggling with some issues and needed to make a decision, and he wanted to pray and care for me. He wanted me to encourage me to press on for the cause of Christ. And at each visit, he expressed his love for the church and was deeply concerned for the church. You know, I must admit, after the first time, I felt actually, I actually felt embarrassed. There I was, a pastor wanting to minister and care for this brother. But I received the grace of his ministry instead. I realized on reflection, it was God's grace that allowed me the privilege to walk with this brother and receive grace through him during his last few days with us. I mean, he's no, he was no perfect saint. And during his last few weeks, when his condition deteriorated, there were times where it was difficult for him and was difficult for others around him. But he left an indelible mark on me. Here was someone was struggling with terminal cancer. And his main concern was for the church. His prayer wasn't primarily for his own recovery. Rather, it was for the church. In the midst of his struggling and suffering, he cared for Grace Baptist Church. And as we continue with Paul's letter to the Philippians, we see Paul likewise expressing his concern for the Philippian church in the midst of his imprisonment and suffering. Rather than despairing, Paul instead desires the advance of the gospel and the progress of the Philippian Christian in their faith. Much like the example of my friend and brother in Christ, Paul's chief concern was for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the church. And we see this today in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 26, our text this morning. Paul writes to encourage the Philippian church 
that God is using his imprisonment and life for the advance and progress of the gospel. Paul wants Christians to know that God calls Christians to rejoice in the advance of the gospel and the progress in their faith of other Christians in the church. So press, uh, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 26. And please do keep your fingers on the page. We'll cover these 15 verses together today. But before we look at these verses, we need to understand a little bit of the background and history of this letter so that we can set the context right. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. We see in verse 1, he wrote this letter from Rome in the early AD 60s to his friends, his Christian friends in the city of Philippi. And where is this church, uh, where is Philippi? The church in Philippi, is, Philippi is actually in modern day Greece and is the first city in present day Europe where Paul actually established a church. We see this in Acts 16. Paul and his missionary partner Silas, they were imprisoned in Philippi for stirring up a riot when they exorcised a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. While in prison, if you remember, God miraculously delivered them and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to the jailer and his family who repented and trusted in Christ. Together with the merchant Lydia, also one of Paul's converts, is likely they formed the initial, they, this group formed the initial community of the Philippian church. Paul again visited the church a number of times after his first departure and they continued to support Paul's gospel ministry. They had a deep friendship and partnership in the gospel. We see Paul was in prison at this time. He was awaiting his trial at the time of the writing of this letter. Paul was facing persecution and suffering. And if you read carefully, he even wrote that he may lose his life. However, because uh, of the Philippians' latest financial support delivered by Epaphroditus, he was prompted by thanksgiving and joy at what they have done for him. So in his loving desire to encourage his friends in their faith amidst the opposition, Paul writes this letter to call them to rejoice in the gospel and to press on in their progress in their faith. From our human perspective, there's actually little reason, reason for the Philippian Christians to rejoice. Remember, their beloved church planter and teacher Paul at this point is in jail. On top of that, they face tremendous opposition from their enemies, both Gentile and believers who oppose Paul's ministry in Philippi, as well as the false teachers who are now coming into the church to challenge Paul. And if external challenges were not enough, the Philippian church, they were also experiencing rivalry and disunity in the midst. There were fractions in the church that were stirring up divisions. It is the midst of such circumstances that Paul writes to them. In verses 1 to 11, which Pastor Bobby covered last week, he greets them and he prays for them. He tells them of his joy because he knows that the God who saves them through Jesus Christ will continue to work in them to mature them 
in Christ. We see them see this in Philippians one six. It's because of this, Paul is confident that the Philippine Christians will grow in their faith and persevere in the work and partnership in the gospel. Paul's joy is in God through Jesus Christ. This is the backdrop for today's message. You may have seen this saying, He who dies with the most toys wins. This saying came to, came to property in the 1980s and it has found its way to car bumper stickers. Even today, if you actually drive or you take the bus, you look into the uh, back of the car, you occasionally see signs like this being hung on the rear glass windows of cars. And it didn't take long for a wise guy to come back with an saying, he who dies with the most toys still dies. The point of this former saying is this, the goal of life for them is to accumulate as much material wealth and stuff. And he who gets the most toys in this life wins in this life. The person who follows this idea is driven by this chief ambition to accumulate as much material wealth, to buy as much stuff that he enjoys as possible. The Apostle Paul similarly is driven by ambition. However, in contrast, his ambition is not self-directed or self-serving. His chief ambition is that only Christ be named known and honoured. And we see this in verses 12 to 18a, where his concern is the advancement of the gospel. And again in verses 18b to 26, where he cares that the church is built up in the faith. If you look at the original Greek word for advance in verse 12, it's the same word that translates to progress in verse 25. So what Paul is drawing attention to in this section, book end by advance and progress, is his ambition for the widening proclamation of the gospel and the growing maturity of the church. And through this, Jesus Christ might be made known and honoured. We see that Paul's desire is that the gospel is advanced. We read in Philippians 12, to 8, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 12 to 18a. Follow with me as we read along. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivery but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. The Philippian church knows that Paul is in prison and they are concerned for Paul's welfare. So after Paul's initial greeting and prayer in the previous verses, Paul now writes to let the Philippian church know how he is doing. 
He wants to reassure them that he is okay. He tells them what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Pause here. This is really an amazing statement. If we remember what has happened to Paul and what his current situation is, Paul is now in prison in Rome, awaiting his trial. And this is to say nothing of the circumstances that brought him here. The mob that attacked him in Jerusalem, his arrest, his subsequent long journey to Rome, which, by the way, included a detour of a shipwreck. Nothing much, right? And now, finally, Paul is under arrest and his imprisonment looks to limit the work of his gospel ministry. Yet, as unexpected as it sounds, Paul tells us that the effects of his suffering and imprisonment, rather than hinder the work of the gospel, has served to advance the gospel. The gospel is being pushed forward. What seems to our eyes to work against has worked, has served to work for the gospel. We have also seen this recently in our own history. For those older members in our church, you may even have heard this story. I've actually encountered them. When the communists took over the government of mainland China in 1949, foreign missionaries were expelled. And it was some of these missionaries from the Southern Baptist Convention who on being expelled from China came where? Came to Singapore. And they started a gospel work among the overseas Chinese here, which eventually led to the start of Grace Baptist Church. What seems to our eyes to work against has served to work for the gospel. This is because God is sovereign and in control over our sufferings and difficulties. And God can use them to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has used Paul's imprisonment to serve to push forward the gospel in two areas. Outside the Christian community, we see this in verse 13. And from within the Christian community, we see this in verse 14. What seems to our eyes to work against has served to work for the gospel. Paul is under house arrest in Rome at this time and he has a rotating unit of Roman imperial guards present to ensure that he is secure. In a sense, Paul at this point, is not free to proclaim the gospel to others. But he has a captive audience of guards that has to be with him. And what do you think the topic of Paul's conversation was with them? Any guesses? Or do you think Paul was talking to them all the time? Jesus Christ, his life, his teaching, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, the forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. You can almost imagine the Roman guards coming off their shift of guarding Paul, talking to an incoming unit of men. Um, so what did Paul talk to you today about? Um, yeah, you know, what else? Something about the Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I'm sure this strange prisoner will be a topic of conversation in the homes of these guards over the dinner table. And in this way, Christ is made known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Many have come to know of this strangely 
cheerful prisoner who is under arrest for the sake of Christ. And as a result, some have come to trust in Jesus Christ, whom Paul proclaims. And not only did this happen among, uh, not only did this happen, we see among the Christians, many of them have become confident in the Lord by Paul's imprisonment. Many Christians see Paul shackled as a criminal for testifying about Jesus and his grace. And for some strange reason, they want to imitate the very behavior that got Paul arrested in the first place. Perhaps Paul's boldness and confidence in Jesus Christ has served as their example. Or they saw how God was working through Paul despite him being in chains. But whatever the case, these Christians were emboldened. They are much more bold to speak the word and proclaim Christ without fear and the gospel is pushed forward. You know, till this point, we can almost understand Paul. But look with me in verses 15 to 18a. It holds a further surprise. It is strange for a prisoner to be joyful in a cell. It is unusual for the same prisoner to keep on talking about the very thing that placed him in an arrest in the first place. It is almost counterintuitive for others to know that he is in prison, then imitate his actions that led to his arrest. But as I read this passage, what was most unexpected is for a leader like Paul to rejoice in his rival's success. You see, among those who were broadly speaking about Christ, there were two groups with vastly different motives. There was one group over here who proclaimed Christ out of their selfish ambition. They preached Christ with insincere motives from envy of Paul and rivalry with Paul. Their goal is to afflict and cause Paul hurt and pain, even as Paul is in prison. You know, perhaps they sought to increase their influence by having more converts than Paul. Maybe they want more bragging rights. You know, Paul, I have more converts than you. Or they sought to undermine Paul's credibility and to reduce his influence by claiming that Paul was in prison for shameful reasons. Then we have another group over here who actually preach Christ out of love for Paul. They proclaim Christ out of goodwill to Paul, knowing that Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They proclaim Christ truly to advance the gospel that Paul so loved. Either way, whether out of selfish ambition or goodwill, Paul rejoices. Paul rejoices. How is it that Paul can rejoice at his rival's success? You see, the group that proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition still preach the gospel. Paul was pointing out their wrong motives and not that their message was wrong. If you remember reading in the letter to the Galatians, Paul actually strongly condemns those who preach another gospel, a false message. However, he did not do so here. The content of the message of the gospel was still accurate and faithful. But they did gospel ministry with ill will and wrong motives. And Paul did not endorse their motives. But he was joyful, nevertheless, that the message of Jesus Christ was getting out 
in spite of their motives. Paul's desire was that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Paul's concern was that, was that only that Christ be made known and honoured. What about you? Is your concern that Christ be made known? Are you tempted to play it safe? Do you keep a low profile regarding your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus? Do you avoid any opposition, real or imagined? Or do you talk about Jesus to your co-workers, fellow students, neighbours, or family members, do you take risks for Jesus Christ? With the release of the latest iPhone 6, the most important question for many iPhone faithfuls isn't whether to get a new iPhone, but which one? I mean, now we have the large iPhone and the extra large iPhone, right? The choice is between the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus. And this is a tough decision for Apple customers. Pick the wrong size and you're left struggling to be productive because the screen may be too small. Or you pick the wrong size, you may be struggling to put that oversized phone in your pocket. Yeah, I don't know why you want a phone that's so big you can't even put it in your pocket, right? The iPhone 6 actually packs a 12cm screen and it's really larger than any iPhone before it. And the iPhone 6 Plus trumps it with a 14cm screen. Tough decision, right? Thankfully, Paul didn't have to struggle with getting the latest iPhone or smartphone from Apple. For Paul, his decision was much more serious. It was a matter of life and death. He was hard-pressed in making a decision between two choices, to live or to die. We see Paul writing in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, second half of verse 18 onwards to verse 26 of this. He tells us, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I cannot choose. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul looks at his present circumstances and tells his friends in Philippi, as long as Christ is proclaimed, he rejoices. And then Paul looks at what is coming in the future. 
his long-awaited trial and his outcome. And Paul again rejoices. In verse 19, if you read the Old Testament, Paul actually alludes to Job chapter 13, verse 13 to 18, which the song leaders have read for us. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. Whatever the outcome, either being declared innocent or found guilty, Paul knows that his deliverance is assured because of the prayers of the Philippine Christians and the help of the Holy Spirit. He trusts that God is in control. In verse 20, we see the deliverance that Paul expects is actually deliverance from the temptation to be ashamed of Christ. Remember, he was on trial and under a strong threat to back off and back down off his faith. It will be easy for him to compromise and give in. Yet by God's saving power, Paul hopes, if it's God's will, to serve one last purpose, and that is to display the greatness of Christ. Whether God has determined that Paul's goal will be better accomplished in the courtrooms and prisons of Rome by his death on his, of his body or his ongoing life on earth, Paul fully expects and hopes that he will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. But with full confidence and courage, he will honour Jesus Christ in his coming trials. Whether he is released from prison or he dies as a result of his imprisonment and trial, he wants to honour Christ above all. And to have Christ honoured is to have Jesus Christ shown to be great. Paul's chief ambition was for Jesus Christ to be honoured and magnified, shown to be great even in the midst of his suffering, imprisonment and trials. And in verses 20, 20 to 21, Paul tells the Philippian Christians that he actually anticipates two possible outcomes for himself. Either death as a result of his imprisonment and trial or life as he's released. For Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul, Paul tells us what this means in the following verses, in verses 22 to 23. For Paul, living means that he will continue in fruitful labor in the gospel ministry for Christ's sake. And dying for Paul is gain. Get the word there. He says is far better. As it means that he can depart and be with Christ. It's not that Paul has some suicidal tendencies here, but rather he considers that if he dies as a result of his trials and imprisonment, that result is better for Paul. The latter outcome, dying and then dwelling in Christ's presence, is far better and it is Paul's desire. Pastor and theologian Dennis Johnson writes, What makes death gain? is not the earthly misery that it puts behind us, but is the heavenly delight into which it will usher us. The delight of being with the Saviour who loved us and gave Himself for us. Paul's desire to depart from life on this earth is ignited by his longing to be as near to Christ as possible. If his personal longing were the deciding factor between life and death, Paul will gladly choose martyrdom 
that will swiftly bring him to his king of grace. However, in verses 24 to 26, Paul decides that his being alive is more necessary for the sake of the Philippian Christian. Paul hopes that he will remain and continue his gospel ministry among the Philippian Christians so that as a result of Paul's teaching and ministry, they will progress in their faith. They will have joy in their faith. Paul wants the church to mature and grow in their faith. And finally, when Paul and this... Uh, Paul is uh, released, uh, released from prison comes, he will get to be with them and to help them grow in their faith. And they will ultimately give glory and praise to Jesus Christ for Paul. Paul's passion for Christ leads him to want to exalt and magnify Christ by building up the church. Paul, as much as he is a hero in the faith, merely points to Jesus Christ who though he was equal to God, left heaven and came to earth, became a man, suffered, and ultimately paying the price of suffering on a cross for us wayward creatures. And the more we learn to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, the more our hearts will be set free from self-interest by Christ's other serving compassion. And this gospel logic that calls us to love others as God in Christ loved us, it will take deeper root in our hearts so that increasingly our desire is that whatever happens to us, through us, Christ will receive honour and glory and others' faith in Him will be advanced. What about you? Can you honestly say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Do you desire for other Christians in the church to grow towards maturity? What are you doing about it? Paul's chief ambition is that Christ be made known and honoured by the advance of the gospel and the progress in the faith of the church. What is your ambition? What is it that drives you? You know, we can very quickly determine what drives a person. Just listen to what he or she talks most about. It's likely what drives and motivates him. A foodie will talk about food. An avid sportsman will talk about his sport. A new mother will talk about most about her baby daughter. And you know, notice something. In every sentence of this passage, almost every sentence of this passage, Paul mentions a message or a person, or the person who is the message. Paul wasn't some still-resolved, hard-as-nail super-apostle who was just determined to get the mission done. No, as Pastor and theologian Dennis Johnson insightfully points out, Paul was driven by his joy, and his source of joy is a person, the eternal Son of God, who has always been equal with God the Father, but did not use his equality for his own comfort and convenience. Rather, this majestic person, Jesus Christ, humbled himself, became our human brother, obeyed even to the point of torture and shame of a Roman cross 
and was raised to life and exalted above everyone, everywhere. This joy in Jesus Christ was what drives Paul and his partners in the gospel to suffer for the advancement of the gospel and the progress of the faith of the church. Then again, you think to yourself, you know, Ollie, that was so long ago and far away. Does it still work today? Yes. For the same Christ who stooped to conquer, who descended from heaven's height to the cross of lower shame and rose again to supreme glory, still lives and rules today at God's right hand. This great king who gave his life to win life for his people, who defeated death by dying, makes his presence known among us through the personal power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, what worked for Paul and the disciples in Rome and Philippi will still work for you and me in the 21st century. We are only able to sacrifice for the advance of the gospel and labor for others' progress in the faith because Christ is our greatest gain and joy. And this serves as our heart motivation and drive so that in our lives and ministry, our concern is only that Christ be made known and honored. Is this your heart motivation and desire? Christ is our greatest gain and joy. If this is true, it will have an impact on our church life and ministry. And I'm speaking to members of the church right now. Our church vision is a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. And what is disciple-making? It's simply advancing the gospel by proclaiming Christ and helping others in the church progress in the faith. We proclaim Christ and evangelize so that others will come to know Christ. We teach and build up other Christians in the church to maturity so that they will increasingly honor Christ with their lives. So if our ambition is only that Christ be made known and honored, we would be involved in disciple-making. If Christ is our greatest gain and joy, our church will be involved in disciple-making. And one simple way we can start is is just after this service on Sunday, starting today. Do not immediately leave. Stay around for 15 to 30 minutes. Meet new people. Get to know them. Talk about the message. Share your insights and what you have learned. Pray for one another. Talk about Jesus. Give thanks to what He has done and is doing in your life. It will be awkward initially, but press on. And in this way, we make Jesus known and we honour Him. Remember the single brother in Christ? He has since been ushered into glory and is enjoying his time in the presence of Jesus Christ. But if he were around, I'm sure he'd be delighted if we progress as a disciple-making church with our ambition only that Christ be made known and honoured through our proclamation of the gospel and our growing in the faith. Let us pray. Father, Christ, Father God, we confess that our hearts are often divided. We do not find our joy in Christ, but seek our pleasure elsewhere. Father God, take our affections and seal it for Jesus Christ. Teach us to make Jesus known and to honour Him. 
Help us to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and help one another grow in our faith. We pray this for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Indeed, our chief aim is to advance the gospel. It's because Christ has redeemed us and we want to live for Him. Let us rise as we sing a song of response. All I have is Christ.